Okay. So, uh, what are you drinking there? I'm drinking a Crush Apricot Sour. I have not tried this one yet from Ten Barrel Brewing Company. Got it. I've got a uh, Faded Flannel IPA. And it has a flannel logo. It's a, well, it's a flannel shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, you, you open yours first. I'm trying. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, here's the faded flannel. Yeah, I think sounded, mine was more impressive. No, I think mine sounded more like an IPA. Okay, cheers. Okay, cheers. I slurped. I like it. Uh, we were talking about <laughs> naming our podcast. Yeah, we were gonna have a podcast. Like if yeah. this was a thing, and you said we call it bitter versus sour. IPA versus sours. Right. Right. Our preferences in drinks are about as opposite as bitter and sour. Yeah, because I literally, when I'm picking out beers, I look for like the highest IBUs I can find in a beer because yeah. I want it to be like bitter in my mouth. I look for. No bitter. <laughs> I am bitter beer face. <laughs> so we stay away from those. No, yeah. I, I love sours. And we just ensure each other that we don't drink each other's drink. That's right. I mean, we never awesome. have to worry about it. Yeah. It's a lot more difficult to find sours in places that we yeah, go. it is. Than it is to find IPAs. Yeah. IPAs are freaking everywhere. Yeah. Well, you know, canned sour is, you know. Yeah, I think we found sour. some. Yes. Yeah. We found a little something with this one because, you know, there was like a mix pack on this one, which is kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> we do agree on gins, though. Yeah, Here. we just found out that our favorite, favorite distillery that makes our favorite gin here in Canna Beach, Oregon, which is where we're at right now. Um, I'm saying that like we have a podcast already. <laughs> it's, it's not just you and I talking. Okay. Apparently, we haven't had enough of our bitters and sours yet to have a But we just found out they're moving to Colorado. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they'll be like shutting everything down in March. We come out here like once a year and I we wait to, you know, for these great gins that we get, gin and tonics that we get to have because we get our Cannon Beach um you know, gin yeah. and I'm so uh, bummed. I know. So I'm a, I love whiskey in particular bourbon and I, you know, you can find good bourbons in a lot of places, but like that gin is like, I mean, we, it's amazing. I know we try gins everywhere, everywhere we go, yeah. like when we visit a city or whatever. And we just haven't found one that, um, is like this. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a sad day. Yeah. It is a little bit of a sad day. Yeah. And, and I, we were not expecting that. We weren't. And now I feel like every gin and tonic we have this week is like pure gold. Like, yeah. <laughs> unlike the one I spilled last night <laughs> yes. on the floor. I'm feeling really bad about yeah. that. I told you not to worry about it last night. But now... Now I should worry about it. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Anyways. Uh, we decided to actually sit here and... To record this, um, because not so that we could talk about our drinking, <laughs> <laughs> which would be absolutely not. We are on vacation right now, I know, but so we're, we're doing a little more drinking than normal. But yeah, but we actually um, 
we uh, we we sat down and decided to uh, record this because we were having some conversations about things that uh, that we're passionate about, and, and in particular, we were talking about your passions and mm-hmm. and your um, what you want to communicate um, in in this new venture that you're pursuing. Um, in very, very broad general senses, life coaching, mm-hmm. um, more specifically, that's what we're, we're, you're being challenged to, uh, zero in on a niche right mm-hmm. now. And it's like, we keep having these conversations, you and I, that I think are very niche driven, but then naming that niche we yeah. haven't really, we haven't done that yet. Yeah, I'm sure I need counseling around that. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's some kind of, you know, something that's polarizing me in it. But um, I think that at the age that I am and the life experiences that I've had, the challenge of dialing in to a niche in my life coaching business has become uh, harder than I expected. Um, because there's so many facets of my life that I can get excited about, um, as far as, you know, conversations that I enjoy, um, things that I'm passionate about, things that, uh, challenge me that I want to challenge other people about. But, um, as soon as I try and kind of zero in on something and involve the whole marketing end and the, you know, how to reach the right people with that, um, message or with that passion, uh, yeah, it almost feels like like I probably need therapy. Like mm-hmm. I, I am, I'm working really uh, hard against myself at times to um, keep myself from making that decision. Um, but part of it is a, a growth process for myself, I think, to see where um, where my passion really lies, and in all the work that I have done on myself in this last year. Um, really wanting to be true and authentic to my inner voice and not just do something for marketing reasons, but to really align myself with the passion that I have in an area so that any work I do um, for myself or with others um, really reflects um, an authenticity Mm. about myself. Um, so maybe that's, you know, that's where, maybe I just therapied myself. You therapied (laughs) yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure i've only had two sips <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure there is no clinical therapist out there that raised an eyebrow at that i'm sure they all went mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's yep <laughs> that's what we do <laughs> we we therapied you <laughs> Yeah. It's yes. very scary to therapists though. It's very scary when people learn how to therapy themselves. <laughs> oh God. This is a disaster already. <laughs> I feel <clears throat> laugh much longer, I will be snorting. <laughs> right. Let's not get to that point. That's sharing a little too much with <coughs> We'll edit that out. <laughs> with any uh, potential potential audience that may ever hear this, um, so yeah, I um, 
I feel like like we like we have these conversations all the time. Like we talk about this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And you are like very clear to me on what it is that you're after. I mean, it's like like when we're just in a, the course of a normal conversation, you just like you just talk. Like it it's like freely flows out of you. And then it's like you like you have this roadblock when it comes to actually like typing it out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so the, there's something about that, that is like, um, I think is, again, it's just like a little, like a sticking point or something when you're, when you're trying to find like specific, uh, written language for it, um, as opposed to just flowing in it. And so, um, so we talked about, um, that, you know, let's, Let's just spend a little bit of time here and let's actually record it so you can go back and, mm-hmm. and you know, you can listen to yourself talk about, um, you know, what it is that you're, you're wanting or what it is that just naturally flows out of you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and hopefully to, to gain some insights in that, hopefully to, um, uh, hopefully to, to get something that becomes, that you can, that you can have, uh, you know, written out mm-hmm. in a crystal clear kind of way. Right. Is that what we're. Yeah. I think, I think we're trying to dive in a little bit to what it is that if, if I offered my voice to the world, what would it say? Um, what, what would it be about? Um, we had this conversation yesterday over lunch about, um, I asked you the question, um, if you could give a Ted talk, you had one opportunity to give a Ted talk. Mm what would you talk about? Um, and, you know, I feel like that's a question that I ask myself all the time to try and as a, almost a discipline to try and dial in this niche, dial in this passion that if I were to get up and give a Ted talk, what would I end up talking about? Um, what is, you know, resonating with me that the world needs to hear about? And I'm, I'm actually very polarized by that question for myself. I love asking other people that question because I think mm-hmm. it's very intuitive. But, um, but for myself, it's very, um, it's a roadblock. Uh, or I, I, I can't answer it, I guess. Mm. So um, I almost want to ask the question, what would you think I would talk about if I were to give a TED Talk? I've seen that come over you did, social you media. You tried that last I night. I tried it. Yeah. And you I didn't, wouldn't I didn't bite. bite. <laughs> 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 um, but it's... Um, I, I tend to be a person who's very stuck in my head, um, and I can get into these looping conversations with myself. Um, and yeah, so sometimes I, I feel like an outside perspective is helpful to me to someone else to hear what I'm saying or, you know, to regurgitate to me what I've been saying. Um, but so far, even in some of those acts that we've had together in conversation, I've still not, um, still not landing or I am landing and I'm afraid to go down that road, um, because it'll be very, um, it'll be very specific. If I do, it'll be very, um, I think a bit controversial and I think that's a that's a big thing for you. Like you're, you're mm-hmm. not afraid of controversy, controversy, but you're therapied. I mean, we're uh, yeah. honest, you know? <laughs> right. Um, 
but you but you are very um you are very respectful of that space like you um because you know the implications of it like mm -hmm. we've we've been there before mm -hmm. in other roles that we've mm -hmm. had and th it had um like these immense repercussions in our relationships in our jobs even at times <clears throat> mm -hmm. um for us to have thoughts um that were outside of the norm that were you know in particular yeah. in, the, in you know of course in the church setting and there's there's all kinds of landmines i think in then in the church yeah. that you have to stay away from so i i think there's like a, a real part of you having been so burned by that before yeah that again i don't think you're i don't think you're afraid of it at all like i don't think that's the right thing no i think it's just like you have like this deep respect for um that might even not be the right word but but like i know what taking the stand will do and i i would say that uh, the word that comes <clears throat> to mind for me is like experienced wisdom in that that mm. i've already been down that road of saying that you know taking a stand on things and justices, that sort of thing do, does mm. have consequences to it. So I need to make sure that not that I'm afraid of consequences, but that they're, that they're good and healthy and that they're worth the goal in the end. Um, just to hear me complain or rant or, you know, have an opinion about something isn't in and of itself productive. Um, and I, I want to be some kind of voice that moves uh, people to a new space. Um, a space that is healing, a space that provides them to the opportunity to be more authentic with themselves, more true, a true version of themselves um, than the one um, currently lived. And just to incite people to get angry or upset or um, stick it to the man, you know, that isn't what I want to be about. Okay, so let's let's kind of touch on that a little bit because that's um, that that is kind of where the center of all of this uh, wanting to have this conversation sits is with you, like like you trying to identify that niche, you know, mm -hmm. and um, and so what you just said was very interesting. You you and I think pointed too. You said that you're you're wanting. Like the, like you desire to help people, like to find their true self, mm -hmm. right? Um, to come to that kind of understanding, and and you know, and what you're not interested in is shaking things up for the sake of shaking things up. Mm -hmm. But if you coming to your true self happens to shake things up, oh well, right? I mean, that's just that's part of the deal. It's yeah. more important. For you to find your true self, it's more important for you to embrace your true self than it is for you to hold peace or to not overstep a boundary. Or mm -hmm. so one of the one of the things we were talking about here just a few minutes ago, and um, before we started recording, um, that I I responded to you that I'd never heard you put it in this way before, um, but the thing that you are most passionate about is um when you when you think about 
helping somebody to discover their true self, or you think about helping somebody to um, to embrace the questions, right? The the like, I don't know if this is healthy the way I've been thinking, and that you want and you want to help people dive into that. Hey, mm-hmm. that should you should dive into that. Then you should embrace that question rather than than run away from it. All that that has like your passion has less to do with um with the actual with them actually diving into that right then opening up to that then it does that um that it is it's unfair it's not right it's not um it's an it's unjust that anyone hold back or be required to, or be asked to hold back a piece of themselves for the sake of peace, for instance, or for the sake of not rocking the boat. Like that's a, for you, it's a justice issue. Well, I think that's what we may have discovered right before we started talking um, in a recording. And I think that from the time I was little, the conversations that I wanted to be a part of had to do with me sitting there listening to something and then saying, but what if it looked like this? But what if that thing actually meant this thing? What if, what if, what if? And I... I find myself coming back to that question over and over and over again in my life, um, in my relationships and occupations in raising my family, making big life decisions. Um, it has always been a question on the table as far as our faith is concerned. Um, you know, challenging ourselves to new thought, broader thoughts, bigger thought, more good thought. We ask the question, what if? Um, I remember one blog that I had done um, right before um, our voices became controversial. (laughs) Um, And it was about uh, what if God was actually more good than we're giving him credit for? Mm, I remember that. Yeah. Um, I think I titled the blog The Grandness of His Goodness or something like that. I can't remember. But but it was this idea that if I could think a more good thought of God, did that just make God bigger? Did that just make God more good? Did I just expand my faith? Um, if I did, then maybe it expanded my theology. Maybe I have to let go of some things that I previously believed if he's actually more good than I thought he was yesterday. Um, and I know that that can get into a whole, like, you know, philosophical discussion, but it, it really probably describes myself better than any other way that I can. That, um, that the what if question is always on the table for me. Mm. Um, it's part of how I vision. It's part of how I dream. It's part of how I, Um, problem solve what if okay if this is you know what the end solution is and we can't get there because these things are in the way these roadblocks exist what if we took a roadblock out what if 
we redesigned the path to get to the end. Um, it's always been, what if? Um, what if I could be a more whole person than I am right now? What if I had a voice that doesn't have to sit behind male teachers? What if I had an opportunity to share what's really going on inside? I remember when I lived in India and the team that I lived there with, um, after we were there for about three months and after a couple months in, we're having this affirmation circle time. <laughs> um, and somebody was, uh, decided to say an affirmation, uh, uh, an affirming thing <laughs> about me. It was, it was my turn to hear something. And they said, you have such a quiet spirit. <laughs> and you laugh at that. <laughs> and I remember just internally going, are you kidding me? I have a quiet spirit. Okay, I might be quiet on the outside, but there is nothing quiet about my spirit. Your spirit roars, roars quite like a lion. Loudly. And yes. I and I had that actual like picture in my head that I am roaring inside and you don't know it. And if you heard my spirit speak, mm-hmm. You wouldn't like me. Mm. That was the thought that I had. Um, mm. You know, and it, and I think over the years in the evangelical Christian faith that I've been a part of, a roaring spirit from a woman is not really desired in the church. It is not compliant. It is not becoming. It is not holy. It is not a lot of things. But it doesn't mean it's not there. And um, and it took me a long time to come to a place, particularly in this last year, where, um, where I decided to stop buying into that mm-hmm. um, thought process. The lion got unleashed. You know, you cage up something too long and you're going to hear a whole lot of mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> Um, and so I, as I contemplate where I'm headed with my life coaching business, I want to make sure that just because there's a lion roaring inside that doesn't actually devour everything in its path, that it actually can do good, that it can um, move change and it can affect uh, people to a more good space than they previously were. Um, so... Yeah. So, tying this back to your comment earlier that what you're most passionate about is justice issues. Mm -hmm. Why is that a justice issue for you then? Why is... Like, mm-hmm. what makes that a justice issue as opposed to just uh, self-discovery mm-hmm. on your part? I think it becomes um, a justice issue because I chose, mm, I chose, my family I grew up in chose, but I chose all along the way, a system of belief that... Um, It basically said that you can be all things except for this, 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 and this. And so when anybody does that in any other atmosphere, 
for any other reason, it's considered oppression. Uh. Okay, so if I was a female trying to get a job in the workplace and it was said, well, you can do these things, but you won't be able to be CEO. You won't be able to do this. You won't be able to do that. We call that oppression. We call that injustice. We call that unfair. We call it a lot of things. Discrimination, whatever. Um, and we could use examples of all sorts that can come to that same conclusion, that same mm-hmm. definition. So I feel that um, for me, having that voice, talents, giftings, um, ability to think, to challenge theology, to challenge programming, to challenge tradition. Um, it's not my place to do that, um, according to my previous evangelical um, Christian Christian belief system, was that um, I was designed to be a wife, to have children, to... Um, serve in the church, particularly in children's ministries or youth ministries, as long as, you know, wasn't the boys weren't too old and, you know, you couldn't speak in front of them and that sort of bullshit. But <laughs> um, it's it's so like from where we are right now, it's it is, so wild. It is wild, but it was something so ingrained in me that I didn't. It's not that I didn't question it. It was that I really honestly wanted to do the good and right thing. And if this is what God deemed as good and right, I really wanted to do good and right. Um, But I remember asking multiple times of myself, uh, to myself, maybe I, I probably asked it out loud and didn't realize it, but that if I'm supposed to celebrate all these things that as a child, you're good at this and you're talented in this and... Um, maybe you'll be this someday or whatever and we're supposed to celebrate that in our children but then when it comes time for me to be an adult and it comes time for me to consider a career path consider my life journey I, I'm, I'm supposed to kind of set that aside and say that the more holy thing to do is to raise children be married you know serve in the church that sort of thing for me, it went as far as being a pastor's wife for almost 10 years. And, um, and I, think, I think that when you keep putting parameters on what you're allowed to do simply because of you, the sex that you are, um, that you're the weaker of the two species, you know, all, all that type of theology, um, it does become an injustice issue or it becomes a justice issue, I should say. So when I see that happening across Christianity as a whole, as far as traditional Christianity, evangelical Christianity, um, I feel like there are beautiful stories and beautiful women who are not getting a voice into the broader conversation of who God is. Um, and that voice should exist. Um, Theology should always be challenged um, because we're always learning about who God is. Um, And to have the feminine perspective into that conversation, that challenging conversation, only seems like it would be good and beneficial to the whole conversation of God. Um, But when you're asked or expected or that subversive understanding 
that you are less than and that you can contribute less, um, it, it's oppression. Um, it's oppression that I was part of, that I bought into, that I partook in consciously. I, I remember one time we weren't even married six months yet and we had moved to Salt Lake City or to Ogden, Utah. And we uh, started going to a Christian church in Utah. And <laughs> here you had this brilliant idea that, hey, we're newlyweds. We should go to a marriage <laughs> class. And I was like, sweet, let's go. And then when I found out that the marriage class was led by a woman, I was like, no, we're not doing that. My husband is not going to be told how to be married by another woman. Like, this was this so deeply ingrained in me. And I remember it was like, you were like, what? Like, well, because <laughs> I, I came from a very different evangelical bent mm -hmm. than you had come from. And um, so, I mean, we were both deeply evangelical. You know, I was more, you know, from the charismatic side, charismatic side and you were more from the fundamentalist side. Yeah. And so... Um, the so, bitter and the sour. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is, I don't know which is which. We, I don't either. We should not say. <laughs> yeah. um, but there was this, uh, there was this thing for me where I was just like, I, I don't care who's leading the class. It would be a good class for us to go to. Yeah. With, with little to no thought in my mind that a woman shouldn't be teaching that. Right. Um, I mean, because, you know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just absolutely wasn't in your frame of Right. Thinking. But for you, this was an absolute uh, is the 11th doctrinal, doctrinal hill yeah. to die on. Yeah. Like this was part of your, your in, like um, uh, deep within you kind of belief system that was like you could not allow your husband to be taught by a woman like it just wasn't it wasn't right um, uh, no. and you and I I mean it was like I mean like you said we were six months married and I think you were genuinely thinking at that point have I made a terrible mistake um I just felt like oh my gosh we are so misaligned in this yeah and how could we are unequally yoked <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if I even would have used that word at that time, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a scary thought to me actually that we would be so, um, far apart, um, theologically and, um, and being that that was the basis of at that time of who I was and how I, um, saw m myself in the world and how I viewed the world. Um, this was a catastrophic situation for me, um, and I know you were as confused as hell. I mean, like, you were just like, oh, my gosh. I Fine, we won't go. Like, not a big deal. And um, But it was this uh, moment of going, oh, my gosh, you were actually willing to go. Like, yeah. <laughs> you didn't have a problem being taught, taught by, by a, a woman. woman. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so when I say that the oppression existed, um, it existed from me. Like, I oppressed myself. Um, so there's a bit of... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I you, bought you... I bought into something where I became the oppressed and the oppressor at the same time. You participated 
after a period of time in the oppression. But that is, that's what oppression does. Like on any scale that you look at it, I mean, what you find is that when it is, uh, when, when there is such an imbalance of power, right? Mm-hmm. Um, such a, a deep unweighting of the scales that, uh, that it, I mean, which is, again, it, it is injustice incarnate. I mean, that's what it is, right? That, uh, that when that is perpetuated for long enough, then the oppressed go along with it. Um, mm-hmm. They go along with it and they even embrace it as this is good, mm-hmm. like like willing participation <clears throat> in it. And I think that's where, um, for both of us in very different ways, we both have participated in, the, in mm-hmm. those kinds of oppressions, right. you know, in, in a lot of different ways our entire lives. And because, because honestly, one of the ways of, of uh, dealing with people rising up out of that oppression is to make even the questions themselves, uh, uh, they're not accepted, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not even allowed to <clears throat> think this thought. You're not even allowed to consider that there might be a different way because, um, because if you, if you even, even begin to, you know, entertain that thought for a moment, well, that's the slippery slope yeah. and the slippery slope just gets you started on this downhill slide. And the next thing you know, then, you know, you're believing in a different God mm-hmm. or you're embracing, you know, practicing a different religion or you're not, a, or you're not, you know, practicing any religion at all or you know i mean whatever it might be you know that uh that that is the the slippery slope argument and the slippery slope argument keeps people in their places and i and so when you say that you were part of the oppression well you you were but that in and of itself was oppression yeah um you know your your coming to a point of of willingly participating in that is part of the horribleness of it in the first mm-hmm. place. Um, and I think that, you know, for, you know, the first thing that happened with you and I was that you're right. I did respond and say, whatever, I just won't go then. And, mm-hmm. and then it wasn't until later, you know, and I, I mean, it was within months, you know, that it actually, I think what it, I, that was actually a, a huge catalyst in our life together, because mm-hmm. I think what, what ended up happening is that I began talking with your dad mm-hmm. because you wanted me to talk with him about um, why this was I so wrong. I wanted him to fix you. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness. Right, um, right. Because, you know, my dad could read Greek and he was, yep. he had taught me what I what I understood in theology. Um, you know, we my dad and I had amazing conversations growing up um, around the topic of God and um, how to interpret scriptures and all of that. I think there was freedom for me in that that little sphere of being able to ask what if, um, but, uh, because he was searching out at the same time, but he and myself had landed in a very specific, um, theology. And, um, so I, I thought, oh gosh, you just, you need to spend some time with my dad because he will help you understand what I understand. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, and I guess my plan had worked. I mean, it was really about, I need to get us aligned. And 
what a horrible person I was. God, as I'm saying this out loud, but hmm. but I think it was um, that that this theology, this doctrine that I had placed in my life was such of, of such importance that everything else had to come into that in order for me to um, to be okay, I guess. I don't even know what the word is for that. Um, and so I needed, my marriage mattered to me, you mattered to me, and I needed us to be aligned. And there was no way I was going to start speaking in tongues. I mean, that <laughs> was just like right. not going to be the road I traveled down. And ultimately, I think you weren't wanting to continue down the religious upbringing that you had had in the church. So this made the most sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think there was a... um, I think there was something that that got awakened in me, like, again, in those conversations with your dad, that said, wait a second, there is like, like, at least at the time, you know... This stuff makes like the whole apologetics thing, mm-hmm. right? Like this stuff absolutely makes sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. like there's all these things that you can point at and say that it should be this it way. It was almost it a formula be, for your faith, right? Yeah. And so for me, I began the first step was to step away from my upbringing because what I began to realize is that my upbringing, my faith upbringing was allowing all of these, you know, heretical kinds of things, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like letting women teach me. Uh, right. <laughs> but I, I, again, I, I don't want to get too off topic yeah. in that though, to, to come back to this. Okay. So then, so in all of this, then like, you know, we're, we're laying out where the injustice lies mm-hmm. in this. And so, um, so for you, when, when you think about having conversations with women who are beginning to ask tough questions, mm-hmm. and I say tough questions because, I mean, may not be, they may not be a tough question for you, but it might be mm-hmm. like the unraveling of their life for them, right? right? Because the, what, what makes it a tough question is that I have lived this way. Within this system, my partner and I, or my family and I, or the mm-hmm. church that I belong to, my community has said, this is the way things are. And I'm now asking a question of, is it really supposed to be that way? And and from, for someone to ask that question, to begin to go down that road, quite possibly could unravel their faith community. It could unravel their family. It could unravel their partnership, their marriage, mm-hmm. their, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it could, like, it could unravel everything mm-hmm. depending upon the depth of the question and depending upon the the rigidity of the community that they're currently um, uh, neck deep in, mm-hmm. right? And so, so that's where from what I'm hearing you say, that's where the the justice issue like springs to light. Like you become um, like a justice warrior in that. Like you will go to battle for that person to embrace the question. 
-hmm. not to deal with it, not to overcome all those situations or all that kind of stuff, but you will like, you will give yourself to that person to empower them, to help them, to, uh, give them permission maybe Mm -hmm. is a way of saying it too, uh, to move forward in, in asking that question. Don't stop asking the question because of what you're afraid it might cost you. Mm -hmm. The question is there because it needs to be there. And the question is there because it's important. The question is there because you are on the cusp of something. And, and if you, if you try to stuff that question down, then, um, then in reality, I mean, it'll eat you from the inside out, right? Well, yes, but I also think that you, by not being allowed or given the space or the safety or the freedom to be able to ask the question in the first place, to simply say it out loud outside of your own head, um, you actually allow God to remain very small. Mm. And you allow then yourself to remain very small. And if I actually believe that God created everything, then why would he create me and say, okay, you can have all of this part of you, but you don't get to have this part. Hmm. I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, if you have thoughts, you have creativity, you have opinion, you have uh, skill sets, but you can't use them, then the, it, this is just such a, like a mental uh, complexity for me. Um, that I had to keep asking, what if? Um, I got to a point where I refused to go on women's retreats. I refused to work in children's ministries. I worked in the youth ministry. Why? why okay, but but why did you start refusing to go to those? Um, because my uh, my experience um, in various various churches, I've been to many churches in my lifetime. Um, and many circles of uh, faith, um, everything from non-denominational to denominational to uh, parachurch, all of those, you know, different platforms. And I kept coming back in women's ministries of any sort was um, the pressure to be holy um, under the guise of what kind of wife I was, what how my children were turning mm. out, um, how I dressed, um, uh, how I... Reinforcing the oppression. oppression. Right. And... Holiness through oppression. I knew enough about myself during this time to know that if I placed myself in those circles, I would create arguments. I would mm. create dissension. I would create um, a people. Because I could not sit in one of those seats. I could not share a bunkhouse with a bunch of other women that I was not allowed to say, but what if I'm more than just a mom? Mm. I love being a mom. I absolutely love being a mom. I think it's one of the, the, the most privileged roles that I've been able to play in my life. Um, one that I will never stop playing. But I'm also a lot of things and not just a mom. Mm. I am a better mom because of all the other things that I am, right? Um, I get to bring those to the table. But when I'm not allowed to bring those to the table, I'm a very two-dimensional figurehead for my daughters. Um, 
And I'm not necessarily changing anything in how they see themselves and how they see their contribution in the community. So um, it got to a point in one um, very large women's ministries programs in Phoenix, uh, 300 plus women that um, went to this. Um, my mom and I um, kind of co-taught a um, children's child training class um, while my girls were young. But in that space, some of the teaching that came through on the broader scale, not necessarily in that classroom, on the broader scale was that when your husband comes home, make sure the home smells like you're cooking. So have some garlic in the pan and make sure that, you know, it just smells inviting. It smells, you know, like food, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's fucking 1950s is what it was. It was. And yeah. And I remember thinking at that moment, I mean, literally sitting in my chair, I can remember the moment like it was yesterday and going, but then I would be lying to him. Like, it's just garlic. He doesn't want to eat garlic. Like, why wouldn't I just go ahead and cook a meal? Like, I don't understand this. <laughs> and, um, and, and then it, it went to another extreme where somebody that was very dear and close to my heart, um, who had who had experienced abuse in their life, was sitting there listening to a conversation about how um, that if your husband turns to one of your children or somebody else's children um, in a sexual way, that it was because you didn't give enough to your husband in a sexual way. And I think that that I actually heard that out loud rather than this undertone of my responsibility sexually in a marriage. Um, I think that was... That was it for me. Mm. I was I, I don't remember going back after that, um, and how much it broke. I remember we had a conversation about yeah. that, and I was and you were like, "Don't go back, don't go and back." And I was like, "I was like, you shouldn't go back then." No, like you you do not have to do this. No, and what I what I saw happen to this person that I dearly cared about, um, tr tr the way it traumatized her, um, from her own you know life experience and abuse. Um, was just devastating, and I just thought there's no good that came in mm -hmm. this teaching and in this comment, and and I just thought I I cannot be a fake wife. I cannot be playing a role and an expectation, and then turn around and you know have this somehow this uh, women's women are terrible to each other sometimes in how we uh, you know I have five kids you only have two but i have five kids i'm my quiver is full i mean if you yeah oh, <laughs> you know you have many arrows in a quiver and my quiver is full that was a sign of it's a scriptural thing god <laughs> I, I know it is it's just again the, the oh it's the so pressure, fucking ridiculous the pressure that women put on themselves and and then there's you know there's typical women pressures that we put on each other which i think are really unfortunate but but it is all wrapped in this really <sighs> glittery package in the church um because it's it's about holiness and it's about worthiness it's about um you know uh, being silent when you're supposed to be silent and speaking when you're supposed to be speaking and and who that's to and all of those things and I just just felt like that I was always the lion roaring on the inside mm. you know and um there was no quiet spirit about me um so place that into being a pastor's wife the pressure then is tenfold because you're now in a whole new position um, within the church 
and every time you had an interview um, for a position at the church, um, I was interviewed, our marriage was interviewed, our children's behavior was interviewed, our finances were interviewed, our spending habits were interviewed, um, oh, and our relationship with God in our quiet times were interviewed. I mean, it's, it was just a, I don't, I don't know where I exist in this anymore. And, um, and I think. Because everything had to line up with what everyone said mm -hmm. it should line up with. Right. That was the thing, right? Right. And so, so if, if any part of our life didn't look like what it was supposed mm -hmm. to, I'm doing air quotes here, supposed to look like by the standard of those in charge of the church, the elders, the pastors, the, you know, the powers that oh, be. It, it could be the whole congregation. I right. mean, it's not necessarily any well, one embraced, person. It's certainly the, embraced It's the theology, the it's the doctrine, it's all of it. I mean, every person at that table is participating in that conversation. And it's it doesn't feel strange in the moment because this is what you know. This is your um, worldview, right? And you want... You want the job so badly. Like I wanted the job so badly. You wanted the you you wanted me to have the job so badly. Because honestly, come on, being a pastor that is arriving in your faith. I mean, yeah. you are you are in a position of ultimately right. serving many people and actually get get paid may or may not be much depending on what church you work for. Not. I mean, so, <laughs> we had one church that that cared for us deeply. Um, yes, you're right. And. Um, we're just thinking about that first experience, so, but yeah. No, yeah. but it, it's, uh, well, youth pastors on a whole nother anyway, level. Anyway, honey. anyway, side, yes, I know, sidetrack, <laughs> sidetrack. It, it is I a sidetrack because there's a lot more involved in that too. Right. But um, but I think I think people are, are really actually very generous to pastors. I think we were given a great deal. It didn't always come necessarily in the paycheck, but people people cared for us in very deep sure. ways. Sure, sure. Um, but I think that when... You know, I kind of hit this point where um, our family was, um, you know, seeing as my girls got older, how much pressure, you know, becomes on them um, in their social circles, but also within the church as far as their interaction and their ability to ask the questions, you know. Um, when our girls started asking what if, we were, you know, people pulled aside. Your kids can't ask those questions, you know. And I'm like, well, yes, they can. And then that's a whole nother conversation, you know. So I think ultimately when, um, when it came to truly healing myself um, from it all, I actually had to, to let my faith die. I had to let mm. um, my evangelical Christian upbringing, um, my understandings, I had to let them die. Um, and say it's okay to put them aside. And then I had to grieve them. I had to um, give space for the loss of those things in my life. Um, to understand that that was so much a part of who I was that that die, letting it die off is actually an absence of myself. There's a piece of me that I it's not there anymore. I don't know how to interact with myself anymore, right? So you do that with enough of those things that you believe um, and you come to this state in the grieving process of I don't know if I want to put it all back together 
you know, I, I think I need to get to know me first. Um, and so my journey last year was after the craniotomies, after us having, uh, you know, a, a, a big crisis moment in our marriage and working in, you know, our relationship back, um, stepping back from the church, um, and saying it's okay not to go on Sunday. It's okay not to feel obligated to go. Even when I don't go, I still feel obligated to. So it was okay to stop feeling obligated to. Um, and and just say, it's okay to be absent of this for a while. What will I see? What will I mm-hmm. understand about myself? Um, and what I came to find out were, were all these areas that I feel like are injustices that had happened all along. Mm-hmm. Um, injustices in how I treated myself, but also in what I chose to believe in a in a structure that I don't think is actually good for women. Um, I don't really believe it's even good for men because I don't think that's who men really want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they do want to be good, and I think they do um, want women to be their full selves and their full beauty at least some men do um so so that's the that's the space i sit in now when i look at what am i most passionate about um yeah i'm passionate about healing my body i had a lot of physical healing to do to come back from the craniotomies um but i also have you know a lot of mental um healing to do from both that and um some particularly abusive relationships in my life um and spiritually I have healing to do so it's been hard for me to land and say which one of those things if I go down this road of um wanting to see women released from the oppression of Christian evangelicalism well it's highly controversial. We've already been asked to leave a church over reading mm-hmm. the book Love Wins. I mean, and that's not, I mean, honestly, just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. So um, I will I will narrow my voice just simply by saying that this is what I want to do. Um, I don't necessarily want to narrow my voice. I want to enlighten and to help people think differently. Um, not to be controversial for the sake of being controversial. I want them to have the freedom to ask what if, and that that's okay, that it's the new culture is to say what if, um, rather than um, assuming the role and assuming the position that they've been, um, their theology or doctrine tells them that they're to do. So you went and, not went, you last year um, experienced what we have now come to call. We didn't start this way. Mm-mm. We have now come to call it as the year of Jess. Yeah. And a lot of these things were addressed for you in that year. I yeah. mean, you you'd been asking a lot of questions all along, right? But but you but we began you began to specifically address a lot of these things. I think that we should get another drink. Oh, yeah, because I'm almost done here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think that we should hit pause for now. And that, um, and that we come back and we, we talk about 
what happened in the year of Jess because that I think is what really launched you into a brand new direction. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think absolutely. it deserves a conversation all by itself. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And and I'd more like, I'd like to try different flavor. <laughs> Sour at some point. Wait, yeah, I was thinking in in uh, Origin in memoriam of cannabis distillery shutting. Oh, oh that we yeah, should do some next time should be Gin and tonics, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll yeah, I think so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Here we go. Here we go.